Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole accuses the Prime Minister of being cavalier with the health of Canadians. To all Canadians waiting for medical equipment, for ventilators to arrive, for all the Canadians hoping to get rapid testing in hours-long lineups, and to all Canadians having lost a loved one to this virus, you deserve answers. Canada needs to be better prepared. The health minister speaks out against a conservative motion calling for a review of the public health response to the pandemic. I think, you know, the motion really uh, is, is uh, from my perspective, one that interferes with the ongoing functioning of, of Health Canada and PHAC in a way that actually, uh, you know, I think is not what Canadians expect. And what Canadians expect right now is for all of us to be working on what comes next and how we help them through the next waves of this pandemic. And what's at stake for Canadians in the U.S. election? Four more years of Donald Trump well, will bring us four more years of kind of predictability in the unpredictability. It's Friday, October the 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief, and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. It's been an interesting week on Parliament Hill with the prospect of a snap election, of course, and now there is another Conservative motion that is uh, causing a lot of, uh, or at least drawing a lot of attention for a review of uh, the public health response to the pandemic. Erin O'Toole, the Conservative leader, has accused the Prime Minister of being cavalier with the health of Canadians by introducing the threat of an election at this time. And, of course, the Liberals have accused the Conservatives of of distracting people away from the public health threat that we're all facing. So uh, where do we stand at the end of this week? Oh, that's a good question. Um, basically, the Liberals and the Conservatives are jockeying for who has power over the House of Commons. And on Wednesday, we were left with the impression that the Liberals had the upper hand. And on Thursday, uh, the Conservatives tried to claim it back. (laughs) Um, So the motion that you mentioned is a motion that was introduced by Michelle Rempel, the Conservative health critic. She wants an exhaustive uh, and very expansive study at the Health Committee looking at all types of things dealing with Canada's response to the second wave of the pandemic. So rapid testing, vaccines, uh, what exactly happened with that uh, rapid alert warning system that we had at um, the public health agency that was uh, basically sunset uh, before the pandemic hit, Uh, you know, what led to those decisions? The Liberal government has already said that it's reviewing uh, that decision. Um, But basically, she's asking for the production of a lot of documents, and it led for a pretty tense uh, question period session on Thursday, where Minister um, Haidu, the health minister, said, you know, when she's on the streets, no one is asking her to put more access to information uh, officers, uh, like to hire more access to information officers. What people want are people who are... Um, dealing with the pandemic. And that's a message that we kept hearing on the talk shows on Thursday as well, the Liberal government saying you can't, it cannot release all the documents the opposition w- wants, uh, some because of uh, business reasons, confidentiality, there's things that are being still purchased at this time, but also because they just don't have the manpower. The same bureaucrats who are dealing with the crisis would also be called in to help gather the 
the amount of documents that are required, and that, you know, in the middle of a war, we wouldn't stop to do postmortem, we would wait a little bit long, longer. So um, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, the Health Committee is chaired by a liberal, though. Um, it's not the same thing as the special committee that the Conservatives wanted to have that could haul in, you know, the Prime Minister whenever they wanted. Um, the Bloc and the NDP have said that they will support the Conservative motion. And so far, um, the signals that we've been getting from the Liberals are that uh, they are not going to make this a confidence motion. So there will not be another, you know, will they, won't they, will there be an election or won't there be uh, next Monday when this motion is voted? Yeah. So as we look ahead now, I know you wrote a, a really interesting piece about how, you know, we almost ended up with politicians on the campaign trail this week, but we're already starting to see kind of a a uh, a theme developing here. It's almost like we're in election mode a little bit, and the prime minister is effectively campaigning in a lot of ways. So, um, do you feel like we're we're are we setting ourselves up? Are politicians setting themselves up for kind of election mode, even though the the that was avoided this week? Is that what's going on? I would say for the last two weeks. Um, the signals that we've received from the Prime Minister's office and the Prime Minister himself have been uh, election readiness. Now, whether that was a show of strength, um, some people might argue that. I mean, it's clear that there are some people who, some liberals, who were really itching to go, who believe that the time is ripe for an election now, that waiting until next spring carries a lot of risks, uh, number one being another ethics uh, commissioner report that possibly um, will sanction Trudeau for his role in the Wee controversy. Of course, uh, we are, as we normally do, except for this year, um, I expect a federal budget in the spring with a trillion dollar debt and deficits. Seems like now a 400 billion range. Um, and then, you know, whatever else. Uh, accidents or a scandal that might happen uh, in the future that you're not yet aware of, right? Now it's a pandemic. People are vulnerable. They are looking for strength and stability. We've seen uh, Blaine Higgs and New Brunswick who made the gamble and uh, tried to get a majority government, and that's what voters delivered extra seats for him. John Horgan made the same calculus, deciding to pull the plug on his coalition government with uh, the Greens, deciding to go for that majority, and polls suggest that next week he might get it. Um, it's very tempting for the Liberals to want to do that, and we've seen the Prime Minister do radio interviews across the country, at least two a day in English and in French, where he always does a shout-out to the local candidate, you know, as if we were on an election show. It's been like that for the past two weeks, and on Thursday... It seemed almost that the Liberals had not bothered to rearrange the Prime Minister's schedule, but they decided to send him off um, on what would have been day one of a possible election should the government um, have been defeated on Wednesday. You know, he did three virtual events in battleground ridings, one in Gaspé, one in Winnipeg, um, and one in Oakville, uh, ridings that, well, the one in Gaspé is a, a very tight contest with the Bleu Québécois, and then two others are seats that... Were the Tories uh, to form government, these are seats that would definitely be uh, in their sights, and the the one in Oakville would be definitely a seat that they would need to win in order to get uh, a minority, and the, the one in Winnipeg would be like a majority seat. 
But beyond that, you know, even the morning was free, thinking that maybe that was the walk to the governor general that had been scheduled for that. And then he had two virtual events uh, in the evening. But one thing that struck me, uh, and maybe to go back to your original question, Mark, one thing that struck me this week in looking at the vote and counting the vote is that the opposition really did not want an election. Like, everybody is posturing, and we all know that the only power the government really yields in a minority government is a threat of an election. And as long as the polls are very favorable to Justin Trudeau, liberals have the upper hand, um, and they can say things are motions of confidence, even when they're not typically considered motions of confidence, because they know that if they go to the polls, the other parties are in trouble. And when you looked at the math, it was really interesting to note that there were six conservative MPs who sat out the vote, meaning that if the NDP had not voted with the Liberals, if the NDP had chosen to abstain, the conservatives were ensuring that the government would not fall by mistake. And so while we're all, of course, going to say that the NDP came in and saved the government's bacon, well, the conservatives also didn't want an election. All right. We are 11 days away from an election in the United States, even though we're not facing mm-hmm. one in Canada. Uh, there are obviously uh, there are Canadian Canadians are watching this this election closely. Obviously, it's historic. But uh, what's at stake for Canada in this election beyond the fact that a lot of Canadians are just interested in the outcome because it is uh, because Donald Trump is such a polarizing figure? What do you think is at stake for Canadians? It's a very interesting question because I think what is preoccupying uh, the people on Wellington Street is really just that whatever verdict happens on election night, that it's clear and that there is a verdict. Um, The government is worried about the safety and security of Canadians who live mostly in urban centers in the United States, um, that, you know, were there, would there be violent protests erupting and that we would have, you know, thousands of consular cases on our hands. Um, They really just want a, a clear decision. Four more years of Donald Trump will will bring us four more years of kind of predictability in the unpredictability. We kind of know uh, how he's going to respond. The first thing, of course, would be the aluminum tariffs, uh, the ones that were kind of like miraculously lifted at the 11th hour, um, probably closer to like 11.59 in September, uh, where, you know, Asterix, the, the department said the uh, U.S. government said in its statement that, you know, they reserve the right to you know, reimpose these tariffs after the election. So, you know, within a week, uh, if Donald Trump has a clear win, um, well, even if he doesn't, frankly, he's still the president until uh, the end of January, um, that those tariffs might come back. And then that seems to be the way that uh, the Trump administration has been dealing with trade. Aside from that, well, frankly, you know, it's not like he has a platform, so we don't really know what he's going to do. He hasn't even really said what he plans to do. Um, but, you know, as long as, I guess, we're not in his crosshair, <laughs> things are, are okay for the Kane government. Um, Joe Biden carries risks and challenges and opportunities. Uh, number one probably is Keystone. He's pledged to get rid of Keystone. Um Jason Kenney, the Alberta Premier, has come out swinging, saying that this is basically a Canadian project, and uh, there would be a huge lobbying effort if uh, Biden administration moved in that direction. The opportunities probably rely on the climate change front. There's a lot of um, common ground between uh, Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau when it comes to a climate agenda. We also know that Biden would be more reengaged 
uh, with the world. That being said, I think both countries are really focused on what's happening domestically. The COVID-19 pandemic is not going anywhere. People are struggling financially. Uh, their safety, security, their health is being challenged. Um, and so that's really, I think, where most whoever whoever is in uh, is in the White House. Um, it's going to be focused on domestic issues, and that's where Canada's attention is too. All right. We will see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the Follow-Up Podcast. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Charles Burton argues Canada is looking at its feet as China's global actions worsen. Burton writes... Last week, Justin Trudeau said China's approach to internal affairs and global affairs is not on a particularly productive path for itself or for all of us. This remark was more passive than warranted for crimes against humanity. Canada does not have any credibility speaking for justice and human rights if we do not start to do the right thing and stand up to China's disgraceful bullying of us. It is time for a cross-party political consensus on this, at least. In the Hill Times, Lisa Van Dusen considers which presidential candidate would be best for Canada over the next four years. Van Dusen writes, When anyone asks who would kill the Keystone Pipeline or who would build a wall between North Dakota and Manitoba, who would revive the softwood lumber dispute or threaten our Arctic sovereignty, just picture the elephant we've been sleeping beside for the last four years. During eight years as vice president, there was Joe Biden, finger-gunning away from his side of the border, saying coherent things in the correct order and doing his job. The alternative is four more years of circus. In an editorial, the Toronto Star calls on the federal government to rein in digital giants. The Star writes, Google and Facebook together are creaming off more than three-quarters of digital ad revenues in Canada, leaving the companies that pay millions to produce credible journalism scraping by. This is not just a tragedy for the news industry and those who work in it. It's a crisis for democracy itself. When news coverage disappears, we're all losers. The Trudeau government has been talking about taking action to stem those losses, and now it's time for it to act. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan is taking part in the NATO Defence Minister's meeting being held this year by secure video conference. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, Minister Sajjan is taking part in this NATO meeting by video conference, obviously because of the constraints imposed by COVID-19. It's interesting, many people will remember just six months ago, the entire organization imposed constraints on its actual men and women in uniform and its military maneuvers to avoid contagion. But life, military preparedness and security has gone on. Now, in addition to the perennial issues of mutual defense and lately the defense of NATO's eastern flank from Russian interference, the biggest topic at the conference is what's called burden sharing. Who pays the bills for the NATO alliance? When Donald Trump first came to office, he took up the arguments of previous American presidents, but this time with a blunt hammer, and he threatened NATO allies that the U.S. would pull out if the, the other members didn't assume a greater part of the funding of the alliance. At this conference, expect the NATO Secretary General, as well as Defence Minister Sajjan, to highlight that Canada and the European allies are assuming, for the last six years, have been assuming a larger and larger proportion of the financing of the alliance. NATO claims that this year the increase was something in the realm of 
So Mark, whatever becomes of President Donald Trump after the November 3rd election in the U.S., he may have had a lasting effect in NATO circles. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the media in Ottawa, along with Treasury Board President Jean-Yves Duclos, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic Leblanc, Public Services Minister Anita Anand, and top Canadian health officials. Diversity Minister Bartis Chagger will make a virtual announcement about the Anti-Racism Action Program. Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault will make an announcement about 10 museums in the Gaspésie Ile-de-la-Madeleine region, along with National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce the launch of the Emergency On-Farm Support Fund to protect farm workers in Nova Scotia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, October 23rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns on Monday morning. Have a great weekend.